0: Cyber Vision And today's episode, Rewarding Innovation. I'm Nigel Schweitzer and joined by co host Francesca Lavoie. Good evening, Frankie. It's going to be good morning for our guest.
1: Yes, good evening and good morning.
0: Today's guest is coming from the West Coast of the United States and Chaplain General Counsel and Corporate Secretary, Qualcomm Incorporated. And in terms of rewarding innovation with 140,000 granted patents and patent applications, I think we definitely have somebody who cares about innovation. Welcome, Anne.
1: Thank you. So happy to be with you today. It's a pleasure to have you on Cypher Vision Anne. And as this is one of our last episodes of the series, I think we're we're going to go out with a bang. So thank you very much for joining us. For our listeners today, it'd be really useful to hear about your background. How did you enter the world of IP? I think I kind of accidentally found
2: IP. I didn't go to law school thinking I would be an IP litigator, but I found IP as a summer associate at a law firm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I went through all of their departments and tried everything during that summer. And I was surprised to find how much I loved IP litigation. I loved always learning something new. I loved working with inventors that led me down this road. And after a few years, I went to an IP boutique firm to focus just on IP. And from that experience, it led to my life's work of working to help innovators.
1: I think you've had some really interesting roles in your career. maybe you can tell us a little bit about the companies that you've worked for and your role at Qualcomm now. So I worked for a long
2: time as an IP litigator in the law firm and eventually became the head of litigation at that firm and did that for many years and loved it. Then I was recruited to become deputy general counsel at General Motors, which is the U.S.'s largest automotive manufacturer. So I moved to Detroit, Michigan to do that. I started out as head of litigation there. And then I went through all sorts of different groups when I was at GM. I spent six years there and had a wonderful time. It was a time of great innovation in automotive with the whole shift to electrification. And then about two years ago, I had the opportunity to join Qualcomm as general counsel and corporate secretary in San Diego, California. So I went from automotive and snow to semiconductors and sun. At Qualcomm, it really tapped into my IP history with such a strong IP portfolio here, our patent portfolio and our licensing business. It's been a great opportunity for me to bring together the learnings that I had throughout my entire career in IP. So coming to Qualcomm, I've been... Fortunate enough to have a wonderful team of about 375 attorneys and professionals, many of whom are in our IP department and obviously at a time that semiconductors are really important for the world.
1: Well, it definitely sounds like you're driving force for fueling innovation, but one area that is probably relevant for fueling innovation is diversity. Why do you think there's an issue with diversity in IP today? I appreciate that question because this is an issue that's really important to me and I think really
2: important for our world. When you look at the numbers, what you see is really surprising lack of progress in terms of enhancing diversity of our inventors, of innovation. When you look even at the numbers in the U.S. Department of Commerce, notes the importance of intellectual property today, that it accounts for more than 40 percent of the U.S. economic activity and supports 63 million U.S. jobs which is 44% of the U.S. workforce. But we need more people from more diverse backgrounds to innovate and to seek patent protection for their innovations, because that can actually help us to solve the world's problems, to support the economies around the world. Right now, only 13% of inventors listed on U.S. patents are women, while Black, Latinx, and Indigenous people account for less than 8% of all U.S. inventors. Researchers estimate that in the U.S. alone, increasing participation in invention and patenting by underrepresented groups would increase annual GDP by up to a trillion dollars, quadruple the number of American inventors, and obviously would bring us new and wonderful inventions. It's an area really ripe with opportunity that we all need to care about.
1: I think you've laid the facts out quite starkly in terms of what needs to be done, Each organization needs to look at themselves and think what they can do. Could I ask you how you're addressing this at Qualcomm? So inside of Qualcomm, we have a
2: program where we've worked on this issue very specifically and targeted it so that we are bringing training to our employees so that they understand how they get to participate as inventors and what support we will provide them to get protection for those inventions. To that end, we've created a new inventors workshop series. Entitled Cultivating Innovation, which is a collaborative program between our IP department and our global employee resource groups to increase diversity and innovation within Qualcomm. We provide a dedicated IP attorney for each employee resource group as well, so that there's a dedicated person to answer questions. And we have a whole series of events to help people understand how the system works and so that they feel welcome into it and understand how they too can participate. We also then looked outside of Qualcomm because it's a much broader problem and one that we really want to help other people with as well. In 2019, we led the establishment of a group called Invent Together, which is a coalition of companies, universities, and other like-minded organizations and individuals to raise awareness of the gap in patent applicants and patentees and to help expand access to the patent system. And with our Invent Together partners, we advocate for more research on historical exclusion from patenting and for policies and programs aimed at making patent-heavy STEM fields more inclusive. For instance, in the United States, we've advocated for passage of a bill called the Inventor Diversity for Economic Advancement Act. We call it the IDEA Act, which would direct the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to collect inventors' demographic data on a voluntary basis and make it available in the aggregate for research. We also wanted to help with innovation outside of Qualcomm through Invent Together by creating a free resource that's available to anyone online called the Inventors Patent Academy. We call it TIPA because so we abbreviate everything at Qualcomm. And it provides training for people that may not have the resources of a patent lawyer. So it's an e-learning course online to help inventors understand the patenting process and ready them for seeking patent protection on their own. It also was specifically written to address issues that may be faced by underrepresented groups, really trying to give stories and context for groups that have not been as engaged with the patenting process before so that when people first engage with the patent system, they can see how to succeed through it. You also see a lot more work on diversity by the U.S. Patent Office and by WIPO, and we're really excited about that. We're a proud member of the U.S. Patent Office's Council for Inclusive Innovation as well.
1: Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Nigel, we've talked a lot about diversity on the Cypher Vision podcast. It's great to see that there's the number of initiatives out there that hopefully will tackle this.
0: It's not just enough to spot it and to say it's not okay. It's the proactive steps that people can take. And I know we spoke in this series to ADAPT and to Suzanne Harrison and to Director Vidal. They're all giving tools and ways of interacting with this problem. So I hope that all the listeners to this podcast will just drift up and down the series and just get ideas about how they can engage with this very important topic.
1: And I think you also put it very succinctly in the way that actually bringing diversity to innovation is really going to benefit society. You're going to be bringing inventions that are relevant to a much wider group of people. And there's the huge economic benefit that you stated as well. Why do you think we need strong IP rights to do that? I think strong IP
2: rights are essential to innovation throughout the globe for people to actually make the investment. So if you look at Qualcomm, we've played a historic and transformative role in shaping the wireless communication industry, starting with the advent of CDMA technologies. And then we have a long history of actually bringing our innovations to the standards bodies like 3GPP and its predecessors. Through that process, we've played a recognized and trusted role in the ecosystem. We have decades of foundational leadership in wireless and computing technologies, And in lots of ways, we act as the R&D center for the industry on all of those innovations because we've made consistent, heavy investment in fundamental research that others simply haven't matched or been able to sustain. Our commitment to innovation is evident in the $85 billion that we've invested in R&D since our founding. And cutting edge research and innovation are at the very core of what we do. From that, we have one of the world's largest patent portfolios. We have over 140,000 issued patents and pending patent applications worldwide. We also have the world's most developed standard essential patent licensing program, which we started nearly 30 years ago, which now includes over 300 licensees. And we're also proud to have the world's most successful 5G licensing program. But essential to our ability to continue to do that foundational research and development is the licensing revenue. That's what we use to fund our research and development and to continue this progress that then we bring to the entire industry. So last year, for instance, we had about $6.5 billion of licensing revenue. And that's what we use to fund this work. That's why for us, strong patent protection is essential in order to actually sustain that cycle of innovation that then benefits consumers our licensees, and all of those companies that interact with this global ecosystem.
1: When you've got strong IP rights, how do you weigh that up with potentially increased regulation? So whenever there's a proposal for
2: more regulation, we obviously take a look at whether there's a strong reason for the change. And in the area of standard essential patent licensing, there are already many regulations that affect it that we abide by. And also there's a whole body of case law that the courts have developed to flesh out that system that also has led to the system working quite well. We hear lots of questions about, well, isn't it very litigious? When you actually look at the facts on that issue and the European Commission had a report that they relied on in drafting their current proposed regulations, that report actually showed a clear global trend of decreasing litigation relating to standard essential patents since 2014. 2021 was interestingly the historically low year for standard essential patent litigation since 2009. And standard essential patent litigation has also decreased relative to non-standard essential patent litigation, both globally and in Europe. And the report interestingly also did not reveal any other major problems with standard essential patent licensing. It actually describes a market with healthy innovation and wide standards adoption. We've also heard another justification about protecting small and medium-sized enterprises, but we don't see evidence of that being an issue either. In fact, the data shows the participation in standards bodies like Etsy by small and medium-sized enterprises has almost doubled since 2015. So all of that data really aligns with our experience, which is that the industry has largely figured out how to do standard essential patent licensing, and that it's working well.
1: Yes, leave those who know how best to do it. You don't need huge amounts of regulation when the system is working well. And I maybe just want to touch on now the global IP landscape, where we're thinking about standards, as you mentioned, that they're standards that are global, What are your views on the changing dynamics of that at the moment for IP? So it's been
2: interesting because strong IP laws and enforcement of those laws are vital for innovation all across the globe, right? That really doesn't vary by country. But IP protections have also come under attack across the U.S., in Europe, and in Asia over the past two decades. And so we are generally not supportive of legislative or regulatory action that devalues patents would weaken the patent system's integrity, or that undermines the rule of law more generally. So we do have some concerns with the European Standard Essential Patent Regulation. And as someone who's worked in this space for decades, there are things about it that really just don't line up with the real world in our experience. It's our hope to engage productively in that process, to bring information forward, to hope to improve that regulation in the coming months as opposed to it being an opportunity for implementers to simply delay taking licenses when they're using inventions of others. And so we've been very dedicated to having a good faith effort to improve that regulation.
1: Having those strong IP rights, enabling that innovation development, the investment in R&D, could you maybe talk to us a little bit around other sectors that Qualcomm's looking at in terms of innovating? Let me give you just a couple of examples. We've done a lot of work in automotive, for instance.
2: So we have a licensing program in automotive to enable car connectivity through access to 5G, also CV to X technology, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and then precise positioning technologies. These are really wonderful enablers for the changes that are going on in automotive which are happening worldwide right now. I have a new driver in my house, so you can imagine I care about this one extra, right? I'm very thankful for the auto stop features, for the thing that pops up to show there's a person and lots of those. So I think that what we're able to bring to help the automotive industry on their journey, um, it's really exciting. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of success in the 4G and 5G licensing and automotive. We also have been really focused on the Internet of Things, and I know Internet of Things licensing has become a hot topic at the moment, but it's important to note that IoT licensing is not new. We have been doing IoT licensing since 2G. Obviously, it's very different from cellular because in cellular licensing, right, you can have five or six companies cover 80% of all of the handset sales in the world, whereas with IoT, there's so many use cases, so many end device markets. So it's so broad across industries that it's much more fragmented. IoT licensing involves a Herculean task of trying to license a large number of relatively low volume players that all have these different Use cases. So, consequently, many standard essential patent license like us have chosen to focus really just on where there's been volume, easily licensable segments such as modules. That's what we've been doing. We also have made a lot of investments in multimedia, the video codecs, and we have an amazing portfolio in that space. It's one that we all Get the benefit of as we all stream so many things that we never used to do. But there's been a huge demand for that technology. It's also a great example of a diverse inventor. So I'll call out one of our Qualcomm inventors, Marta Karzowitz is a true pioneer in this multimedia space. And she's been issued over 500 US patents in this space. And her inventions alone have brought so many improvements that enable us to actually have the streaming that we all have today. So she and her team have helped lead the development on HEVC and the VVC, video codec standards. We also have inventions that are important for other codecs like AV1. And so these technologies are deployed worldwide in smartphones, TVs, and other devices, and are really benefiting consumers and device makers and content providers as well. So those are just some of the other areas that we've been really active in.
1: That's great to hear the story about Marta, and that almost takes us back to uh, how we started the podcast around diversity. So fantastic to see that she's got so many patents to her name and she's really leading the way there. So it feels like we've probably gone full circle. So I would quite like to ask you now, what do you think the future holds for the standard essential patents and for Qualcomm going forward? So I
2: really think that it's important to the world that we maintain a strong and balanced patent system to incentivize innovation. And I hope that's what we see moving forward. Inventors need to have the confidence that when they make the investment and take the chance and come up with something new that can benefit society, that they can actually get a return on their investment. We know this is what drives the capital investment for us and for other companies across the globe and actually creates value in the global marketplace. I also think that it's important for us to realize and to let people know that the current system works, that IP licensing is really driven by market forces that ensure that standard essential owners are fairly compensated for their R&D investments, while providing scalable access to technology that broadly enables the ecosystem. And so we support further transparency in doing that, but we do worry about heavy-handed government-driven approaches that are divorced from market realities and which move legal disputes out of court and into administrative proceedings with undefined rules are rarely the secret sauce to encourage innovation. Regulatory interventions like what we're seeing debated in Europe, we do not believe would lessen friction in IP licensing, and thus it causes us concern. We're also concerned that changes in one part of the world can lead to changes elsewhere as well, because this is really a global ecosystem that we're working with. So what I'm hopeful is that people will realize the importance of patents and actually the benefits that it brings to everyone's daily lives, to companies and to our consumers.
0: This stage of the podcast, and it's always left to me to ask our guest to summarize a cipher vision, a key takeaway for our listeners.
2: What I'd say is that in our increasingly interconnected world, technology leadership matters in the context of economic value, industry competitiveness, national security, sustainability, consumer choice, and so much more. We must uphold a global standard ecosystem that's incentivized and reinforced by a stable framework of global patent policies that consistently protect IP rights. The benefits of expanding the pool of inventors is clear as well, and more diverse inventor communities will result in more diverse problem-solving that our world needs, more job creation, a boost to the global economy, closing the wage and wealth gaps, and new insights and discoveries that improve society.
0: We take connectivity for granted. There are over 18 billion mobile devices, and they're all interoperable. To put that in context, that's more than two devices for every man, woman and child on the planet. But this level of innovation comes at a price, and as Anne mentioned, Qualcomm alone has invested more than $85 billion in R&D since its inception. So ensuring the incentives are right is absolutely critical, and strong and predictable intellectual property rights are fundamental in achieving the right balance. There are those who look at the standard essential patent landscape and wish for greater transparency and less friction. Having devoted the last decade of my career to delivering better data, I make no secret of my allegiance to that cause. But Anne makes the point that there will always be disputes between those who grapple with the delta between price and value. But that's not evidence that the patent system is broken, and regulators should be cautious before they intervene. Thank you, Anne, for the conversation.
2: Thanks so much. It was a joy to join you.
0: Thank you for tuning into the Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag Cypher Vision and share your thoughts about today's episode on rewarding innovation.